Well, folks, Shaw Jerry Adams are ish. August Maris Gra, Tastila Gomso, go well, Shevsha, go on, my August Bimeyer and Inya, Egg Cholo, Fela and Fubble, August Vian Clar, Fela and Fubble, go Huntak, or Fad Clar more. So, Bajor Shockton Ella, your image, Huishin. I'm just saying that uh, I hope you're all well. I was at the Fela lunch on uh, Friday, Fela and Fubble, 2022, and a wonderful Clare from the, four, the 4th to the 14th of August. So, my gorgeous, my congratulations and thanks to Kevin Gamble and the entire Fela team for making that happen. So, just reflecting back, my, my recollections last week of my successful battle against the dreaded nicotine sparked, if you'll pardon the pun, lots of recollections from some of my friends. And Richard, who never smoked, reminded me of my old comrade, of our old comrade, Joe Bingo Campbell. Now, Bingo used to work in the old Sinn Féin office at the corner of Sebastopol Street. That's the place where the present office is still. But in those days, the office was little more than a slum. It housed a number of projects, including the Republican Press Centre, the POW Department, and Fublock Republican News, and the transport hub for buses taking prisoners' families to visits in Long Cash and Armagh and Port Leash and other prisons. And the building was regularly raided. The British Army would wait outside, stopping people going in and out, harassing and abusing everyone. It was also the target for bomb and gun attacks, including one by a death squad using an RPG rocket launcher. And in one fatal attack in 1992, three folks in the advice centre were killed, Pat McBride, Paddy Lockeran and Michael O'Dwyer and Pat Wilson and Nora Larkin were injured. And during these turbulent years, Bingo did all the odd jobs about the building. He collected and posted mail, emptied the bins, went for messages, kept an eye on the British Army patrols. Bingo was a big man. He had a ruddy complexion. He was also a very good singer. He used to do a fine rendition of The Bunny Boy, in the old felons club in Milltown. Anyway, as I mentioned above, Bingo would do messages for the rest of us. And one day during one of my efforts to stop smoking, I had a horrific urge for a cigarette. At that time, for no good reason, I would smoke an occasional cigar instead of cigarettes. And I suppose in my nuttiness, I thought one cigar was better than a few cigarettes. On the day in question, I had stubbornly, stubbornly resisted the temptation to have a smoke, but eventually I could stick it no longer. I give in. So I was relieved when Bingo made his way up to the stairs to where I was working to tell me he was going to the shop. He asked me if I wanted anything. Thanks, Joe, I said to him, giving him some money. Would you give me a hamlet? No bother, Bingo told me cheerfully. And the way he went, well, I went back to my desk to do whatever I was doing. A hamlet, by the way, is a small cigar. It used to be very popular, 
Their advertising slogan was, Happiness is a cigar called Hamlet. Now that I had broken and given in to the nicotine, the desire for a Hamlet was pure torture. I paced the floor of our very tiny office, waiting for Bingo to arrive back with my nicotine fix. Minutes slowly ticked by. No sign of Bingo. Half an hour later, still no Bingo. An hour slipped away as my craving for a smoke became historical. Every time I heard a footstep on the stairs, I thought it was Bingo. Now, those of you who have never smoked will probably not fully understand the agony I was going through. Having crossed the line and given in, now all I could think of was the hamlet Bingo, Bingo was going to present me with when he got back. If ever he got back. Maybe it an accident, I, I fretted. Maybe the Brits had him. Maybe the Brits had stopped him. Maybe I would never get my smoke. Eventually, just when I'd almost given up, I heard Bingo on the stairs. I'm sorry for being so long, he gulled up to me before making his way upwards. I stood up eagerly and expectantly to greet him. He handed me a hamburger. I've been everywhere, he said, everywhere up and down the road. I can't get an omelette anywhere, so I got you a burger instead. So, Shin Bingo, Shin Misha, on a more serious but not to downplay the importance of my last yarn, six years ago on June the 23rd, 2016, the Brexit referendum was passed by a narrow majority. In England and Wales, the majority voted to leave the European Union. In the north of our own little island and in Scotland, the majority of people voted to remain in the European Union. The democratic vote of the people of the north and of Scotland was ignored. Now, the protocol keeps this part of the island in the European single market along, of course, with the rest of the island. And this has resulted in a customs border in the Irish Sea and a deepening crisis between the European Union and the British government. The DUP is blocking the formation of the recently elected assembly, at least blocking the formation of the executive, unless everyone else concedes to their demands that the protocol is scrapped. Almost every day, a new claim, a new accusation of blame or a new threat emerges as a result of Brexit. So I thought it might be useful to remind us of the core facts around an issue which has the potential of collapsing the Good Friday Agreement. And my list is far from exclusive or exhaustive. In June 2016, Brexit referendums, in those referendums, 56% of the population of the North voted to remain in the European Union. In 2018, Johnson, the British Prime Minister, told a jubilant DUP conference that no British Conservative government could or should sign up to any agreement requiring any sort of frontier within the United Kingdom borders. My yeah. In October 2019, Johnson did exactly that when he negotiated the withdrawal agreement and the protocol with the European Union. 
So the protocol is the work of the British government. It's their agreement with the European Union. The Tories are for withdrawing from the European Court of Justice and are also committed to withdrawing from the European Convention on Human Rights. On the 13th of June, the Johnson government published its protocol bill. 15 out of 26 clauses provide ministers with the power to make any provision the minister considers appropriate. So effectively what the British government, what London is doing, is turning up the international agreement they negotiated. Mr Johnson and his cronies claim that the protocol undermines the Good Friday Agreement. This is totally bogus. It is the British government's threat to withdraw from the European Convention of Human Rights that is a direct attack on the Good Friday Agreement. Data from the Office for National Statistics reveals that the protocol has ensured that the North Sea economy is outperforming Scotland, Wales and England. The Scottish First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, recently said, and I quote, If I could get a protocol that would allow Scotland to continue to trade freely across the single market, I'd take that in a heartbeat. The majority of citizens in the North in the Assembly election recently voted for parties that support the protocol. The majority of MLAs elected support the protocol. The European Union and the USA, a guarantor of the Good Friday Agreement, have made it clear that they're determined to defend the agreement. In the midst of this deepening crisis, it's important to remember that in 2017, the European Union said that in the context of United Ireland, all of Ireland would automatically become a full member of the European Union. Now, way back in 2007, when Ian Paisley and Martin McGuinness took up their roles as First and Deputy First Minister, their first joint act was to send a letter to the British Secretary of State asking him to vacate Stormont Castle. As Ian Paisley said to Martin McGuinness at the time, we don't need an Englishman to rule us. And he was right. We have the wit and the intelligence to rule ourselves and to build a better future for all our people. And we can, a people so decide, bring that about through the referendum, which is part of the Good Friday Agreement, the exact same Good Friday Agreement that Mr Johnson and his friends are trying to destroy. And finally, I don't know if you saw Paul McCartney on uh, television on Glastonbury Saturday night week ago. And his set was amazing. His first song was Can't Buy Me Love. And as the opening bars began to play, the years rolled back and I was a teenager again listening to the Beatles' latest hits on the radio. It was March 1964. I was 15. From Me to You had been their first number one the previous May. She Loves Me, Gomeleskill, She Loves You was their second. I Want to Hold Your Hand was next and then it was Can't Buy Me Love. And Paul McCartney's two and a half hour set at Glastonbury was a master class in songwriting and musicality. The huge audience enthusiastically sang along, whether it was, oh, 
la di oblada or get back or lady madonna or let it be or hi jude the concert was a joy to watch and to sing along with at home there were at least nine beatles songs and then there was david grohl of the foo fighters and another of my favorite musicians bruce springsteen on stage rocking it up with mccartney and his outstanding group of musicians it was a remarkable evening and an incredible session of music by one of the greatest songwriters of any generation. I was just thinking, given that I started off talking about the Fela and Fubble launch on Friday last, would it be great if Fela and Fubble could persuade Paul McCartney to play in the Falls Park? And finally, finally, let's play out with the self-same Mr McCartney and give Ireland back to the Irish. Speed the day. Slán, Akarja, Tor Ira, Di Fein, Chiefy May Shivsha, Arba. Slán live. Shh. <laughs>